good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort or 1,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name's Michael Leboff. Joining me, as always, for another handicapping adventure across the pond are my co-hosts, my friends, BJ Cunningham and Anthony DeBundo. But before I bring those two gentlemen in to break down this week's Premier League slate game by game, then take a little jaunt through the Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, Ligue 1, think about our Three-leg underdog parlay. Another doozy this week. I think it's 177 to 1. Um, and then our best bets in the Premier League. A reminder that Wonder Goal is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer. Bet $1 on any game. Get $200 in bonus bets. You must be 21 or older. The offer is available in Colorado, New Jersey, Ohio, Iowa, and Virginia and the United States. If you have a gambling problem, Please call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. BJ Anthony, welcome back. Last weekend was a lot of fun. Hopefully, uh, we have just it's as much Sunday fun this morning. Week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was set up really well for us. Um, and wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know, Everton uh, let us down, which doesn't ever happen. Um, we won't start with uh, the Everton Wolves relegation six-pointer, which I think is probably the, the highest stakes match of maybe across all of Europe already. Uh, we'll start with Newcastle and Liverpool. It's an 11.30 a.m. kickoff on Sunday. Uh, Newcastle's plus 120 at home. Liverpool 2-1 to one on the road. The draw is plus 275. All three of us are in agreement here, uh, Anthony. Yeah, I'm going to be on Newcastle at home. Uh, the market has moved a little bit. I was hoping that we would get uh, Newcastle right around a pick at home, but uh, the market's a little wiser to that. So they have moved. Um, and it is interesting because there was a pretty big delta between these two teams in the preseason markets. Newcastle was you know, the sixth best team with betting odds coming into the season, whereas Liverpool was pretty comfortably third. Uh, and we're already seeing a little bit of convergence uh, toward, I think, what our general consensus was, which was that the market is kind of underestimating Newcastle uh, because now they are a home favorite. Now they are a home favorite to the point where if you take out home field, Liverpool is still considered the better team. And I would generally say that that's probably fair. But when you look at how well Liverpool has played away from home defensively in the last year and a half, and, and that continued uh, in their first match against Chelsea, where I didn't think they played particularly well defensively, then you, you start to you know find the holes in this Liverpool team. Now, they will not have Alexis McAllister. So I would expect Endo to make his full debut as, as a starter at the base of midfield. Uh, that is a, you know, Endo is okay. He's 30 years old, but he's not nearly as athletic as McAllister. So he may offer more ball winning, but he's not the same level of athlete. And I do think that is a downgrade for them, given how much Newcastle relies on just out-athleting people 
and being physical and, and really fast in transition. So uh, I think the Magpies are a little cheap, and uh, I'm going to bet them at home here, plus 125. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that uh, there's a couple teams uh, in that big former big six that's now turned into a big eight uh, in the Premier League that have shown some serious cracks in the armor, and I think uh, we should still we should be taking them on when we can and we'll get to a few more of them down the rest of the slate but liverpool is definitely one of them i mean i said it on the last podcast how simple it is to unlock this liverpool defense it, it's it's one ball basically and and they they get un, they come undone and bournemouth showed that within four minutes when they scored twice twice, twice. <laughs> yeah. yeah one of them chalked off for var but <laughs> you thought that they the, the liverpool defense saw you know would see that and you know, shiver up their spine. Let's get our act together. But 30 seconds later, the ball's back in the net again. So, um, yeah, I think this defense uh, is still ripe for the picking. Tough venue. I thought, like you, Anthony, I thought we were going to see a little bit of a better number because of Newcastle's, I don't know, I guess mundane performance against Manchester City. Um, But didn't really get there, but I still like the, the money line at plus 125. So, I'll be on the Magpies as well, uh, BJ. Yeah, I will be too. I think the market hasn't really gone far enough on Liverpool yet. You know, Anthony mentioned that Endo is probably going to be making his debut in the middle of the pitch here. That helps in some respects, but when you're going against a Newcastle team that is one of the best teams in the Premier League in terms of transition offense, and Liverpool just showing a complete inability to defend in transition. Now, what was interesting in that match against City and what City did to essentially neutralize Newcastle's high pressing is they had a very narrow buildup shape. It was a 3-2-3-2. So they essentially made Newcastle defend in the middle of the pitch and then neutralize and basically put Grealish and Foden in one-on-one situations in out wide areas against the fullbacks. Liverpool can do that, but Liverpool is not the team that can have game control like Manchester City can. So it's a very, very difficult matchup for them. You even saw it against Bournemouth. You know, Bournemouth, Bournemouth forced three high turnovers. A lot of them came, you know, within the first 20 minutes there, and they obviously scored the goal off of it. Newcastle is, you know, five times better of a pressing team than, than Bournemouth is at this stage. So uh, we even go back to last season, Newcastle, obviously unbelievable at St. James Park, close to a 1.5 XG differential per 90. They, one of their only losses came against Liverpool. Liverpool scored twice early on, and then Nick Pope got a red card. But after that red card happened, Newcastle still controlled over 50% possession and created close to two expected goals. So I think it's a great spot here for Newcastle at home. I don't think the market's gone far enough. I have Newcastle projected at minus 119. So I like them at plus 120. Yeah, and it is interesting. You know, BJ hates Liverpool, but um, I, I have I also have plus 108 uh, here. So uh, I do show value on Newcastle. I think that uh, when you look at Newcastle as well, uh, it, I think it is a little bit instructive to look at where has the market moved on certain teams. Remember, we had that conversation last year uh, because as you get closer to kickoff and the limits go up and you see sharper money come in late, some of it is overreaction. I, I think you can play against that sometimes. But you also are seeing kind of where the respected groups are coming in. And Newcastle is a team that has taken a lot of money in both of its uh, you know, two matches here. So the, against City, I mean, they were plus one almost when we had that conversation on the pod. By the time the game kicked off, City was minus 110. Uh, and then the same was true on opening day. I think BJ gave out 135 on the pod against Villa and they ended up closing close to 160. So they've taken some pretty significant money, them and a couple other teams I'll talk about later. 
it's kind of true to what happened last year as well. So there is clearly market sentiment that likes this Newcastle team. Uh, and I, I, I've always felt that way about them. So, or at least recently felt that always. way. Recently, recently, yeah, not that, always. Going back to the Steve Bruce days, mm-hmm. Anthony yeah. was saying, I know, this team. Always this uh, season, you know, preseason. All right, so that's a Sunday they, kickoff, They, they definitely missed Tay Maximin against City. They could have used him. They could have used him. Too bad. Well, they have Anthony Gordon. They do. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go to uh, Friday afternoon now. That's a Sunday, 11.30 a.m. kickoff. Uh, Friday... Friday night lights with uh, Chelsea and Luton Town. This is at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea's minus 500 on the three-way line. These odds, of course, are from uh, Bet365. Luton Town, 12 to 1, and the draw is 6 to 1. Chelsea's been a, a little bit of a fun experiment through the first two weeks. I think uh, them and Spurs of the teams that legitimately have uh, aspirations of finishing in the top four were the two teams I think folks were less assured about just in in terms of like projecting them not their ceiling or anything just they didn't know what to do with these two teams um spurs has kind of tottenham's kind of answered the questions and we have some stuff to build off of still very confused about chelsea uh really strong showing i thought in the one one draw to liverpool uh in match week one come undone against west ham we kind of all were kicking ourselves a little bit for not you trusting our everything that we've seen out of this team for the for the past you know 12 months um on the road at, at West Ham there but what are you gonna do uh and I, I have no idea what to make of this team I will say I think that this match sets up pretty well for live betting and over if it's pretty tight in the first 10 or 15 minutes Luton Town got just demolished by Brighton it's four goals on four expected uh, and Chelsea has shown some serious cracks defensively. So uh, wouldn't be shocked if Luton Town gets on the board here, uh, but over three and a half can find out there like plus 130 or so would be my lean. Not something I'm I'm thrilled about uh, to play, but BJ, what about you? I like Luton Town here, Michael. I like him on the spread plus one and a half. And if you want to do a 12 to one on the money line, I wouldn't hate that either. I mean, listen, this is a situation that we kind of went through with Manchester United last season where they were, Horrible to begin under Eric Ten Hag. They figured things out tactically as they get progressed more throughout the season. But there are these opportunities that we come along in the beginning of the, of these type of eras, and especially in the Mauricio po- Pochettino era, where we can pick them off maybe once or twice before they we see the full rounded uh, squad here for Chelsea. I mean, listen, it's a very very difficult thing to in- basically overhaul an entire squad, bring in a new manager. And then have to deal with some injuries to your best players, like Nkuku, like Reese James, like Fofana. So, yes, Moises Caicedo is in. They lost to West Ham. I was talking to Anthony on Monday. He called it a Ponzi scheme win for West Ham, uh, which I kind of agree with. It wasn't, you know, Chelsea was the better team there. I'm not going to walk away from that saying anything else. But, I mean, listen, Luton Town very well may end up being the worst team that we've ever seen in the Premier League. Talent-wise, there is a a massive, massive gap between them and Chelsea. But Luton Town is in the same mold as a team like Brentford in their style of play, which they will play five at the back, they are relying on set pieces, and they will come out and they will press you, and they will press you intensely. I mentioned in our preview episode, Luton Town, 427 high turnovers forced in the championship last season. Next closest was Sheffield United, and they were 60 high turnovers away from them. 
they, they can be described as a team that doesn't press, they chase. So Lutontown throughout this season is not going to go down without a fight. Yes, they got absolutely demolished by Brighton in the opener. And they very well may get demolished here by Chelsea. Chelsea is now laying a price that is more than what Brighton did in the opening week against Lutontown. So either the market is telling us that Chelsea is a better team than Brighton, which I don't believe to be true at this, this juncture, or Lutontown is truly that bad and they've made these massive adjustments after getting routed in match week one. I think it's somewhere in the middle, and I'm going to keep fading Chelsea until they start to show some of the signs of what they should be given the amount of money that they've spent here. So I like Lutontown plus one, plus one and a half. Best price you can find out there is plus 118. This is a solid defensive team that can play five at the back. So um, I'm going to keep fading Chelsea until they start to show what they are, should be given the amount of money that they've spent. Oh, man. It just feels like like what Luton wants to be is going to get carved by any decent team. That's my thing. And like I watched the opening match against Brighton, and I, I, was, I was scared at how easy it was for Brighton to just get by them and then walk into the penalty area. Uh, Chelsea is exactly what we all thought they were through two matches. I think the public narrative has gone a little overboard on how bad, bad, quote-unquote, they've been because I thought they played pretty well against uh, West Ham. You know, they concede off the set piece against set piece FC. You know, so be it. Uh, they, they dominated the rest of the second half. They get done on a counter by Antonio. and It was kind of like a nothing play. And then, uh, you know, they give away a late penalty, but they, they had their chances. Um, I know everybody wants to make fun of Mudrick and, and wants to joke about, you know, this, that. The reality is Chelsea is first pass in the penalty area, first crosses in the penalty area, 13th shots per 90. And I think it's what we identified as the biggest problem coming into the season when Cuckoo was out. It's who's going to shoot. And they don't have anybody who is consistently going to get shots for this team. Sterling looked really good against West Ham, but he's not getting shots. He's bringing the ball into the box, and then there's nobody to cut it back to. Jackson's okay, but like that's it. So I think they're going to have the same problems. What's that? They say they could really use Romelu Lukaku. They honestly, they should yeah. just put him up there. I don't know. They, they would score goals. Yeah, I know he he was really bad in the Bel in the, for the World Cup with Belgium, and then he was really bad in the in the Champions League final. But like week to week, he was good in Italy. So yeah, they need they just need a guy to take shots, and they don't have that right now. So uh, that's why they're thirteenth in shots. That's why I cannot lay minus one seven five. But I'm definitely not betting Luton here. Uh, all right, let's uh, flip it to Saturday. And we'll talk about uh, Bournemouth and Spurs. This one's taking place at the Vitality Stadium on the South Coast. Home of the Cherries, plus 280 at home. Spurs, odds on on the road. The draw is plus 260. I kept trying to tell Anthony that this Spurs team was legitimate all summer long, that the managerial hire was good. Um, Oh, yeah. He only has eyes for one manager, and it's the guy managing Liverpool, so he didn't listen to me. We're down to 28-1. to or so to win the league. They were 40s uh, starting the season. Uh, this number, though, seems a little a little rich on Spurs. Uh, Bournemouth was both good and bad <laughs> against Liverpool, I would say. Brave, yeah. maybe, is the right answer uh, there. Uh, got on the board first. Then the defense uh, started to struggle to cope. So it's, it's tough. I, I would be a little bit closer on Bournemouth. This does feel like Everyone's going to think it's an open match, like back and forth, seesaw, two defensively flawed teams with managers who just, they want the ball, they want to go, go, go. Yeah, Anthony, that means you're going the other way. 
Yeah, naturally, right? We talked about Anjovers until the market reacts. Did the market overreact? I think that's a possibility here. With this total sitting at three, leaning toward three two five now, uh, I don't know that I agree with that because Tottenham maybe without James Madison here, and Tottenham don't really have a ton of shots. You know, they've they've uh, lost Harry Kane in case you live under a rock, and the replacement for him is Richarlison, who has attempted two shots in the first. Uh, two matches of this season. And I, you know, look, you know, Bournemouth is going to play this pressing style and they're going to be defensively vulnerable. And Tottenham uh, certainly has conceded already four expected goals in two matches, uh, which is a lot against Brentford and United. But Bournemouth is a much worse attacking team than both of those teams. Uh, and so, you know, you don't want to overreact to that. And Tottenham without Madison, I don't really know who fills that role. Because Madison's been playing in like this 10 role in the 2-3-5, and they've been, you know, Basuma and Saar, you know, starting last week were really good. Saar getting into the box, getting forward a bunch. But that's relying on Madison being the primary passer that kind of pulls the strings of the attack because Kane being gone kind of leaves them without a, a, a true creator. And he's questionable at best here. You know, uh, Premier Injuries has him at 50-50 to play based on the, you know, how they discussed it after the match and what... Uh, Ange said it, it seems more likely than not that he would miss this week and be back next week for precautionary reasons. So if he's out, I think this total's high uh, at three. Sonny has been kind of put out wide, and I think that's a good outlet in this system against a Bournemouth team that's going to press and try to force the issue on Tottenham. But I also think Spurs are going to just be better building out from the back and avoiding those high turnovers that Bournemouth needs to score because uh, they did make some tweaks with Poro in the second half, and then Romero just makes them better, I think, in terms of building out. And he did play. Uh, the biggest issues you saw with Spurs were after Romero went out in the opener. So I do think this total is a touch high. Uh, but last game was so open. Like that United Spurs game could have ended 2-2 and probably should have what it should have been. But uh, nevertheless, Tottenham marches on. Nevertheless, we march on uh, to BJ's club. Arsenal. Minus 450, uh, taking on Fulham, hosting Fulham. Cottagers 10 to 1 on the three way line, and the draw is 6 to 1. I, I rarely bet Arsenal. I, I I'd have to go back and look to see mm-hmm. how many times I bet them last season, but it was definitely under five. And uh, I'm going to bet them here. I think that uh, team total over two and a half, minus 115. If you want to go three and a half to get a plus number, bigger number, fine. I think they can name it here. We talked about this Fulham defense all last season. Nothing has changed. They are bleeding scoring chances uh, already at the foot of the table in terms of expected goals allowed. And they played Everton and Brentford. Now they're taking a massive step up in class going on the road. Just doesn't seem like the whole, the, the team is in a, in a good spot generally because you know the, the Mitrovic saga, Marco Silva, like I said, he had his head turned. And he's got a reputation for that kind of stuff as well. The all-for-one kind of mentality that we saw early last season, which helped them pull some big results and spend a lot of time in the top half of the, the table going to the World Cup, seems to be gone, and the, and the defensive regression is coming still. So uh, Arsenal, team total over 2.5 for me, I think, is the way I'll play it. Uh, I know you guys are passing here, but BJ, spare a penny? Yeah, I mean, I generally would look at an Arsenal, you know, either team total over two and a half or minus two and a half here. Paulinho will be back for Fulham, which helps them in the middle of the pitch, obviously stopping Arsenal. 
you know, where they're at their best, which is creating overloads in the middle of the pitch, creating those one v one situations out wide from Martinelli and Saka. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned I mean, Fulham, their defense is a mess. Tim Ream's going to miss this match. I mean, how do they stop Arsenal? I, I don't really know. They've, you know, they've conceded, you know, well, it's 3.7 to Brentford, 2.7 to Everton. What do you think Arsenal's going to do? Arsenal destroyed them in both meetings last season, created well over two expected goals, needed a late winner off of a set piece, but again, created a ton of chances against them at the Emirates. And without Mitrovic, this Fulham offense is just inept. They just don't have anything. They have counterattacks that maybe can lead to a few chances, some cutbacks, some crosses that way, but they don't have an aerial threat in the middle of the pitch. I mean, Raul Jimenez, cool. Not really going to do much as we progress more throughout the season. I mean, if he gets injured, it's just going to go be Carlos Vinicius up there. So, yeah, there's some... When we talked about it, there's some real bottoming out potential with this Fulham team, and we're kind of seeing it through the first two matches. Yeah, and let's hope it continues. Yeah. Uh, Brentford and Palace then. Uh, another couple London uh, teams squaring up. Uh, the Bees plus 100 at home, even money favorite uh, at the Brentford Community Stadium. Palace plus 275. On the road, the draw is plus 250. We've talked about how the market is starting to get infatuated with this Brentford team that we we're saying is really good a couple of seasons ago. Uh, they've been awesome, though. I mean, they made it look easy against Fulham, and you know we can, we can kind of read into that result uh, as you wish because of how Fulham's form has been, but uh, a strong effort against a Spurs team that was full value in, in match week one. This their Brentford's creating chances for fun so far to start the season. That said, I'm I'm impressed with Palace, man. I'm impressed with Roy Hodgson and, and Crystal Palace. That that Arsenal performance was fine. Like he he, he did what you were supposed, what you have to do against Arsenal when you're Crystal Palace at home. He created an expected goal. I think that uh, Arsenal was around two. It's I think as expected almost, and they kept themselves in that match. And that's all you can ask. They were really good against Sheffield United, uh, which you know, read into that as you wish as well. But I would lean towards Crystal Palace because I I do think that this number is gonna go high as as money comes in on uh go higher as money comes in on on the bees here anthony yeah pretty easy pass for me you know brentford's better they're at home gets me to right around what the number is i I do think it's interesting that palace has taken a lot of money in the first two weeks they are up there on the list with uh newcastle who i talked about earlier and now you know palace is the second team there's a third one we're going to discuss later too but this uh palace team you know closed plus a half. Arsenal closed minus 110. When we did this show, Arsenal was minus 170. We were like, ah, oh, we kind of like Palace plus one, but we're not really sure what to make a Palace yet, so we'll wait it out. And then Palace plus one was a, a great bet and, and you know ended up pushing, but like you said, could have easily won that late uh, after the red card. Uh, Arsenal did do like does do a lot of um, defensive possession once they have the lead, which is what scares me off of betting them against Fulham, but they, yeah, they can pick their score if they want, but they don't like to do that sometimes. So that concerns me. As far as this match goes, yeah, easy pass. Uh, didn't really learn a ton about Brentford against Fulham, I thought, because, yeah, they played well, but so much of the domination came after the red card. Like It was a relatively even contest, and then Brentford got the red in the pen, went up 2-0, and then just the floodgates opened, and then it was kind of a beat down after that, but the game was over. Uh, and it's funny how that works for Fulham. Like last year, Fulham gets the most red card luck. This year, they go down a man. Now they're getting destroyed on, and and hurting their XG differences and whatnot. So, uh, the question for me is, you know, if Palace gets steamed again, 
I would probably take Brentford if I got to like plus 120, but I, I don't think it will. So I'm going to pass. BJ? Yeah, I kind of like a both teams to score no here. Minus 105. I mean, Brentford, they conceded that early chance to Tottenham in the first match. Since that point on, they've faced 25 shots and only conceded 1.1 expected goals, which is what Brentford does, right? They only allow low-quality chances. Crystal Palace, like they were good against Sheffield United, but like I mentioned, they took 24 shots, and other than one inside the six-yard box, everything else was incredibly low-quality. And then you know, they were up a man for 30 minutes against Arsenal, and they still couldn't create over one expected goal. So in terms of this matchup, though, I mean, Crystal Palace, where they're at their best and where they're successful is when they're playing mostly in transitional moments offensively with Eze, Olise, and Edward running at you. They're not the type of team that's going to sit back, you know, sit there and try to break down a low block, which they're not going to be playing much in transition here because Brentford's one of the best transitional defenses in the Premier League. And if they struggled creating high-quality chances against Sheffield United's 3-5-2, well, what are they going to do against an elite 3-5-2 like Brentford's? The flip side of it is, you know, Crystal Palace is a very, very good defensive team. They were very good against, you know, non-elite offenses in the Premier League last season, only allowed 0.93 expected goals per 90 minutes uh, outside of the top six offenses they faced. Both matches here ended in a 1-1 draw last season. It was essentially nothing happened for the first hour. And then Palace creates a big scoring chance. They score, and then Brentford equalizes late. But given the fact that these are two of the top 10 defenses in the Premier League, both offenses, you know, Brentford's obviously been great in the first two matches. We'll see what they do against this Crystal Palace defense, which is very, very good. So, I mean, I had both teams score projected at minus 134. So best price you can find out there right now is minus 105. Uh, I think there's some decent value on that. Uh, I wanted to check in, BJ. Um, Eddie Nketiah, how do we feel about his finishing on Monday? Do we like that? or uh, are we, Well, you know, you know that. my mid Ketiah belief. Well, expected goals is the only thing that ever matters, Anthony. And you know that. So what did Nketiah have? Like two, all, all of Arsenal's expected goals in there. So yeah, he's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we shall see. Still an elite striker, though. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, that means it's time to talk about Everton. And when it's time to talk about Everton, it also means it's time to talk about Caldera Lab, a skincare regimen that I do right before I brush my teeth. It's just three products, the Clean Slate, the Base Layer, and the Good. I have the Clean Slate bottle right here with me. Very nice looking bottle. The Clean Slate is the face wash. The Base Layer is the moisturizer. And the Good is a serum that I use at night to reduce my visible wrinkles, which are there because I bet on Everton last week. I bet on Everton match week one. I root for Everton. They are 0-2 and now are in a relegation six-pointer against Wolves. And right before we talk about that, a reminder that just for our audience, we have an exclusive offer. Caldera's best offer anywhere. Use the code GOAL, G-O-A-L, at calderalab.com, C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B.com, and you get 20% off. That's 20% off with the code GOAL at calderalab.com. Make unforgettable first impressions that lead to charming words like, you look younger, or 
you must not have bet on Everton this weekend. And now we find out, will we be betting on Everton this weekend? They're plus 130 against Wolverhampton. They're at home, which is a good thing. Wolves plus 220. The draw is plus 230. These two teams have been drunk to start the season. I don't know another way to, to, to say it. Like Everton, that first match, dominate Fulham. Neil Malpai, I, I mean, if God bless the man, just couldn't find the backside of a barn. Then they just get absolutely torn to shreds by Villa in a match that we all were pretty confident Everton was going to be in. A uh, couple, uh, one mistake. They were not Then the, the Pickford pen, giving away the pen to uh, uh, Douglas Weiss. And that was all she wrote. From there, Everton kind of did what they did last season, which was once they they deal with a little bit of adversity, uh, they just kind of shrink. But these two teams, like I said, they've been drunk. That The matches have been so high event for both of them. I did not think that was going to be the case with Wolves at all. But that's what we're looking at. And uh, Anthony, you think we're looking at, uh, I guess, another drunk match here at Goodison Park? Yeah, I like both teams to score. Look, uh, I know that both of these attacks are picking up right where they left off last season, being the worst underperformers in the league when you look at goals minus expected goals. Uh, teams that have not been good at finishing. Neil Maupay, I'm, I'm looking at you. Um, various Wolves attackers, I'm looking at you. But uh, these defenses are too bad to warrant this price being minus 110, minus 105 even out there. Uh, these are, t- you know, Wolves, first of all, Wolves have uh, averaged through two matches, 19 shots a game, which I would have, of all the stats and small samples and random things that happen, uh, you know, when the sample is two games, it's not really meaningful. But that is the most shocking stat of the first two weeks is that Wolves are second in shots per 90. I would never have imagined that. Um, but I did actually think Wolves played really well against Brighton. You know, I felt a little nervy watching the, the goals. We looked a little weak in transition defense and uh, Wolves really outplayed us for good stretches of that first half. I said us. Um, no, it but, is. no, it's us. We're a part of the team. Yeah. And in the second half uh, is when their transit, the Wolves defense got really exposed. Uh, and I think that, you know, as Wolves play less defensive possession, but you know, use their talent in this transitional way and, and make games more back and forth. They will score more, but they will also concede more. And I think that is uh, going to leave a ton of space for Everton here to attack as well. And I think Wolves will get their dribbles and their once they beat the Everton press, they're going to have good looks at this back line. So, yeah, both these defenses are too bad to warrant the price at the current number. So I like both teams to score. Uh, if I had to bet a side, I would also bet the Toffees, but uh, I'm really not. <laughs> looking to do that this week i i want to see where this number goes i'm the same way like it's it's going to be hard for me not to do it everton is the only team that's played two matches that's yet to score so that's been good didn't really look like they wanted to against aston villa um but well they're back home you know yeah exactly that that match against Fulham, complete different and as we talked about with alan shapiro in that preview pod like goodison parks one of the better home field advantages uh, but it could turn toxic in this match as well, <laughs> which it does, which it does on a, a dime. Uh, so we'll see. It's going to be an annoying uh, Saturday morning uh, watch for me, uh, as the Toffees probably lose what two one four four one close. BJ, what are your thoughts? Over two and a half. Anything plus money is good enough here for me. <laughs> They're back. I mean, here's what it boils down to for Everton, Michael. Like they for- guess what? They forced 14 high turnovers again against Aston Villa, but they didn't do anything with it. And what's happened with Everton, going even back to the Frank Lampard days, 
They've just been so bad in transition defense for so long. And Sean Deitch, with his high-pressing style, has not fixed that whatsoever. So once you beat the first line of the press, it's just acres of space for people to operate in. Two matches, Everton five goals conceded, 4.4 expected goals conceded. The underlying numbers are just as bad as what we've actually seen on the pitch. And here's another problem, especially in this matchup, and something Aston Villa really honed in on, is Everton last season allowed the most crosses to be completed in their penalty area of anybody in the Premier League. And Aston Villa, time and time again, was trying to get the ball in wide areas and trying to hit crosses into that's how the that's how the um, McGinn first goal was scored. And it's how, really, Wolves can really attack them here. Gary O'Neill's Bournemouth last season completed the eighth most crosses of anybody in the penalty area. They're also with the third most efficient set-piece defense, or excuse me, set-piece offense. Everton was very, very poor at defending set-pieces. So the flip side of that is, though, Everton's way overdue to, sc- to score, Michael. So they should be Doesn't able to matter. create a lot of chances here. Uh, <laughs> it looks like no matter. Dominique Calvert-Lewin, unfortunately, is yeah, hurt. that one? Who saw that one coming? Yeah. I, I will to... say I didn't I didn't have broken cheekbone in, in the back of my mind. I, I was just thinking he'll he'll pull up in like the 40th minute uh, with, right. the, with like a hamstring. But, he... but I mean, listen, Wolves is going to torn hammy. Yeah. Wolves is still going to try to build out of the back. Everyone's going to press them high. It's just going to create very end-to-end chaotic style match. So I'm with Anthony, you know, both, you know, in terms of the chaotic match. So over two and a half goals, best price you can find out there is plus one seventeen. Anything plus money is good here for me. It it, it has the feel of a match that if I'm not endorsing it, uh, like a, a specific one, but it has the feel of a match where if you wanted to throw yeah. in like a crazy name, your score bet, one of those, you know, like over four are, and a half. <laughs> yeah. Like something crazy. Like it, I think if you want to have fun with 10 bucks, five bucks. Um, yeah. And put in like a four-two exact score. It's not bad. Or if you want to back someone to score two plus, this this match it's one of those classic matches we talk about where the outcomes are just all over the place. And it'll end zero zero, of course. You know, with it'll end zero zero million expected goals created. All right, let's move on to United uh, and Forest now. United's minus three thirty four. Forest seven to one. At home, there's some pretty big numbers out there as well. And then the draw is 5-1. to one. I like Forrest here, kind of in the same tune as BJ was talking about with Chelsea. I think that you can take on Manchester United at big numbers uh, and feel pretty comfortable with it right now. I think they were better than the score suggested against Tottenham. Oh, yeah. But there's still so many things where they can... They can come undone in in, a, in an instant, right? They're making mistakes. Their defense, their defense is not there yet. Um, Forest should sit deep. We saw them have trouble with these kind of low blocks uh, all last year as well. And like for all Forest fa- faults, like they've scored in both matches so far. They've got three in the bank already. They beat um, Sheffield. They beat Sheffield BJ. United two one. Yeah, and uh, lucky win. Yeah, no. but. Um, they scored against Arsenal. They gave, they made it a little interesting down the stretch in that match. So they have, they have a little bit of bite to them, I think is what I'm trying to say. And United just, you can't trust them. You just can't at this moment. So maybe as the season goes on, we can, and, and they just don't, I've heard it a couple of times now. They don't look fit. Like they seem to be just like wilting down. The yeah. They run out of gas big time. Yeah, oh yeah. It's really weird. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna be on Forest here. I like the Forest money line. Uh, I'll see. Well, Roy Keane certainly had his his fair share of uh, opinions after that Tottenham match. Yeah, uh, well, 
He's not. Roy, yeah. He's Roy, not Roy, usually, Roy usually keeps those opinions in his pocket. Yeah. So it's a little, little he's usually straight laced by the book. <laughs> uh, go uh, off is filter. anyone joining me here? Or it feels like a I, good uh, get right spot for United to me, but I, I think that if the attackers can't do anything against Forrest, we have to start really asking questions because Anthony Garnacho and Rashford have not been good at all. Pretty much all the attack has come from Bruno uh, in the first two matches. They're producing a lot of shots and a lot of box entries, but like the good stuff from the center of the penalty area, they're just not getting any of it. Rashford has been has been poor, and uh, Mason Mount's probably going to miss here. Looks like he's out. So who replaces him is a really interesting question because if it is Erickson, that does add a lot of passing range, and I think with the two of them, Erickson and Fernandez next to each other, like that's just going to kind of wreck Forrest and lets Anthony and Garnacho kind of just be in the penalty area and should help solve the shots problem. But if he is in there as well, he's old. He doesn't do a lot of defensive work at all. And now you're kind of carrying two passengers. Whereas Mount, you know, I know he's been criticized in his first two weeks, but he does do some good defensive stuff. So if he's out, that makes them even more vulnerable in transition and defensively. And, uh, you know, Lissandro and Casemiro have been terrible. I think that's been the biggest problem for United. Uh, They rely so much on those two guys last year being really good, and they were, but they've been so bad. Um, so I think that both teams to score here minus 105 is my price. I know how bad Forrest has been away from home, and that's it's a scary thing because I think their defense could crumble in this yeah. match. But it's just just uh, a one win for them last year away from exactly. <laughs> I, I do think they can score though, and I think you know with Taiwo out there, they have been a good attack when he's on the pitch. They've been a good yep. attack. Uh, BJ, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this number is right around where I have it. I have United at minus 262. And, you know, it will be interesting to see if Nottingham Forest can actually get at United in transition here to see. I mean, listen, Casemiro's great, but he's also getting older. And if so, if you bring Erickson on the pitch, you're, like Anthony said, you're losing another kind of defensive option in transition. So Nottingham Forest may be able to get at them that way. Um, and the Onana thing is is going to be interesting as we go throughout the season. You know, it's only a two-match sample size. But something Anthony also mentioned coming into the season, he's not a great shot stopper. He's great at playing out of the back, and it helps United in their build-up play, but he's made some mistakes early on here. So um, we'll see how that goes throughout the season. But hey, all credit to Nottingham Forest. Second fewest expected goals allowed through two matches, only 1.3. So because they got to play Arsenal. Yeah, I know. They... Um... Onana, very good at uh, claiming crosses uh, in the penalty area as well. He showed that against Wolves. Mm-hmm. Very, very efficient. Yeah. And, that's, do it. and luckily, luckily, Nottingham Forest doesn't cross the ball at all. They're, they're you know, the, the your classic build up through the middle mm-hmm. type of team. 12.30 p.m. kickoff. Usually reserved for, uh, you know, the, the bigger matches on a Saturday uh, is a standalone. And now it's Brighton. Minus 188. Hosting West Ham plus 425. The draw is plus... 375. Uh, I, I feel this way about Arsenal as well. That Arsenal, like, if you want to bet, like, a Arsenal team total over, minus two and a half, whatever. Um, I feel like Brighton and Arsenal both make decent round robin legs. College football is back. Uh, week zero. Make sure to listen to the Big Bets on Campus podcast uh, to get some, some good betting insight on uh, week zero and beyond. But I feel I think Brighton in this spot actually makes a decent round robin leg if you're gonna do something with with some college football underdogs, some Premier League underdogs, and like I said, I feel that way about Arsenal. So it would be Brighton or nothing here, but I, I'd want to play them in that kind of fashion where it's like, uh, you know, I just don't want to 
have him as standalone bet. I'd, I'd rather them as like a leg in a parlay in a in a more kind of all day type bet uh, that I can have some fun with. So uh, that's my thinking here on the Seagulls, who off the charts numbers to start the season. Uh, I really am interested to see if Deserby just sticks around for this whole season because you know it's, we're we're two weeks into the season about to be three into the in the Premier League we're probably three weeks away from some teams starting to get restless with managers uh due to missing expectations in the early Definitely. going and <laughs> uh so yeah, we'll see would uh, never. yeah no yeah Anthony as Anthony said Bully's not never crazy. fire Potter is yeah, what Anthony yeah. said ever um no but if, if Brighton just cooks like this why would you ever leave um right so that's how i'd play it anthony what are your thoughts well for the first time this season i will not be betting the brighton seagulls at the current number uh brighton is the third team along with palace and uh newcastle that have taken money every week and uh they like we said on the show when they were minus 105 and we laughed and said that's a ridiculous price against wolves they closed minus 130 they won 4-1 it was a relatively competitive match but the second half was not uh, the goals continue to just pour it on. And, uh, you know, I think the number's about right here. West Ham's win against Chelsea, like I said, was a bit of a Ponzi scheme. When you look at how they can uh, do the things to equalize games, set pieces are certainly the main way. And James Ward-Prowse being in there will uh, will improve your set pieces automatically. But there's also, like, the drop-off between Rice and, like, Socek looks done. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, and and Ward Prowse is not even close to Declan Rice in in the actual run of play. Uh, Edson Alvarez may may pop in here. Uh, they need him because they are in trouble. Because what West Ham was so good at last year, and really what they've been good at under Moyes is okay. We'll let you have the ball. We're going to let you possess and uh, have it in the final third, non dangerous areas. But you're not going to get a lot of shots. You're not going to get into our penalty area efficiently. Chelsea walked into the penalty area over and over and over again. Uh, and I think that was the biggest difference. So, you know, you, you look at the result and you're like, yes, resounding defensive performance, classic David Moyes. But there were a lot more cracks under the hood uh, than, you know, maybe we originally thought. If you just looked at the results and you said, yeah, they conceded one. Uh, but again, you know, Mudrick volley and they had the other cut back to Jackson that he missed. And then there was the uh, missed penalty, of course. So I think there was a lot of holes in the performance. Um, and I think the defense could get exposed here. But again, you know, the set pieces efficiency, they're going to be a, a tough, uh, tough out. So I think West Ham has secured maybe its floor, um, you know, because they're certainly better than enough of these teams. that They're not probably not getting relegated. I know we, we hinted at that in the, in the preseason, but uh, this defense could get worse. I think there's a real chance that it does. Uh, anything for you here on uh, Brighton or West Ham? I shouldn't even say that second part. Anything for you here on Brighton? <laughs> no, I agree with you, Anthony. The number is about right for me. I projected Brighton at minus 195. Um, if those cracks that we saw against Chelsea continue here against Brighton, I mean, Brighton's got to pour four goals in again. I mean, last season, towards the end, Brighton in this same match, Brighton at home against West Ham, Brighton won 4 nothing created 3.5 expected goals, just created chance after chance after chance, and West Ham had absolutely no answer. So uh, this is another situation where, again, if you want to play Brighton minus two or minus one and a half and chase a bigger price, I think there's some decent value in this, but I want to see where this line goes because we hit Brighton you know, minus 205 at some shops now. Now it's creeped back down to minus 180. It just came out today that Enciso got injured in training, which Brighton has 
a plethora of wonderful attackers. So I'm not too concerned with the loss of him. Um, our guy, Evan Ferguson, keeps coming off the bench. They keep starting Danny Wallback up top. Not really sure why. Uh, I assume it's because Wallback is better tactically, better at pressing, better of what Deserby wants to do. But I'd like to see our guy, Evan Ferguson, score uh, a couple more times and get on the pitch and at least start. I wonder why. Are you financially incentivized to hope that Ferguson gets on the pitch? Yes. I think he's, he's so far. I think Ferguson eventually, like the, you bet the talent long term, but you know, they've been playing pretty well with Danny Welbeck. And I just, I just said it would be nice. Boot. I didn't say to do it. I just said it'd be nice if they started having Ferguson. The Golden Boot winner and leader uh, is playing off the right. So, yeah, Sully. Sully Marsh. <laughs> so, they don't need a striker. You know, Welbeck hasn't scored yet. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Dupignon getting in on the uh, the action as well. He's been been a great FPL pick. All right, uh, Sunday morning. Welcome back, Burnley. Lemon Luton Town had last week off. While Luton Town finishes up the rest, the upgrading of Kenilworth Road. Uh, Burnley's at home, hosting Aston Villa. Two Claret and Blue sides going at it. Uh, the line here is Burnley plus 240, Villa plus 115. And the draw at plus 240, Villa coming off that walk in the park against Everton. I thought this line would be a little bit better on Burnley, even at home, and just because Villa looks so good. Obviously, Burnley was off last week, so out of sight, out of mind. Plus, the last time we saw them, they were getting romped a little bit by uh, City. So this looks right to me. I'm going to be passing here. Uh, BJ, anything? Yeah, I'm passing as well. I think the number's about right. I had Aston Villa close to, to plus 120 here. The thing about Burnley is the reason they were so good in the championship is not only because they were able to control possession and, you know, have dominate matches that way, but they were one of the best pressing teams. Like they press really, really intensely to their opponents. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to work here against Aston Villa. And if it doesn't work, Aston Villa is going to absolutely rip them apart the same way that they did Everton. Also, there's this, you know, sentiment out there that, Nathan Tello was kind of all of Burnley's offense last season. Now he's at Southampton. They did make some signings. You know, Amadouni coming in is a, is a decent signing, but he didn't really, you know, he hasn't only played one match with Burnley. So uh, kind of interesting to see where the offense actually comes from Burnley, especially a team that we mentioned many times, overperformed by about 20 goals in the championship. So it's, it's a pretty easy pass for me, but I do want to see how effective Burnley's pressing is here at home against a team that's going to primarily build out of the back to see if for future reference, if they are going to be alive under or not. Yeah. I, I don't know what to do with Burnley. I mean, we didn't see them play last week and we saw them play man city in the first match. I mean, I mean, I thought they were okay against city. They didn't get overrun completely, but they weren't that competitive either. So yeah, no, no play for me. I thought that the market would give us a better number on Burnley plus a half, but it did not, and it gets at the sentiment that the market has not liked Aston Villa at all. Uh, the Everton, you know, was plus one twenty-five, plus a half, and we bet it last week. They closed minus one fifteen, uh, and Villa was right around minus one ten. So a bad weekend for CLV betters last weekend. But mm-hmm. uh, Villa has now twice in a row. The market has moved against them, and they opened at a much lower number than I thought it would this week, uh, because Villa is a team that BJ and I have consistently said eh, they're overvalued. And the market is now kind of coming around to what we said, even though Villa had a resounding 4-0 win, which I, I find fascinating. But um, yeah, no, no play here. All right, our last Premier League match to talk about, and it'll be a pretty quick discussion. PJ's Pass. the only one with the bet. Will it be? <laughs> yeah. PJ's betting uh, Sheffield because he's insane. Yeah. Um, and then we'll go washed, through. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
Did he score um, last match? I don't even remember. No, he didn't. So he hasn't scored in uh, three of the four matches City have played this year. It's true. Are they? Is City Uh-oh. is City worse with Holland? I think we may have to start asking the question. Um, <laughs> this may this may be my last time betting on Sheffield United. I'll be flat honest. Um, <laughs> uh, I would lay minus a thousand. That's not true. <laughs> um, I just can't believe that this team, in terms of where the market is pricing them, is as bad comparatively to what they were in the championship. And I get it. They've lost some pieces. They just signed Cameron Archer from Aston Villa, which is a good signing to help their offense. Manchester City's in a very weird place right now. Like, Pep Guardiola is going to miss the next few matches because he's had back surgery. Everything we know about Pep Guardiola is he's an absolute control freak, and I don't think that his assistants have really been pulling strings from the from the touchline and making tactical changes. So not going to downgrade City like enormously, but it does affect them a little bit going into this match. And the version that we're going to see with City this season, and it's going to be, you know, if you if you feel more comfortable playing under three, I think there's some still some value on that. But City is going back to absolute game control because they're playing four center backs along with Rodri. And, you know, especially with Kovacic in there as well, he's not really a get-forward type of midfielder in the mold of what Gundogan was. Still no Kevin De Bruyne. So now City is sitting here kind of, comparatively to seasons past, are limited in terms of their attackers. And listen, they only created one expected goal against Newcastle. They scored the goal, and then they kind of just controlled everything from that point on. And that's kind of where I landed here is that I don't think they should be laying two goals on the road to a team that I still believe is a decent defensive team and will be okay as we go throughout this Premier League season. Gustavo Hammer is a good signing from Coventry City. He was their best midfielder, getting them to a promotional playoff spot last season. United can, Sheffield United can play in this 5-3-2. I know that they you know, conceded some decent chances to Nottingham Forest on the road. Didn't look great against Crystal Palace, but laying two goals on the road in the Premier League is always a difficult, difficult thing to do. And I know it's Manchester City, but given the, how defensive their approach has been to begin this season and how it's going to be as we go throughout the season, I think they're overvalued here. So I like, I like Sheffield United plus two and minus 110. It might be my last ever bet on them, but we'll Definitely. see. I think that the market's just gone way, way too crazy low on this team. Yeah, I would maybe bet. You could convince me to bet the under, but you could not convince me to bet Sheffield plus two. 2.25. What about 16 to 1? No. <laughs> Michael, I can see it in your eyes. I want to know on City yeah. this year. I'm trying to, trying to keep a good record on those. But Holland, I mean, maybe, man, maybe like, Tom Davis, anytime goal scorer. It's uh, true. Also, they're playing Foden He did Central. tear up City in his, in his I think, his Premier League debut. He he, he took uh, Yaya Torre for, for a walk at Goodison Park. In, Put in his pocket. Resounding win. Yep. They've been playing uh, Foden centrally, and it's just not his best position. He's looked yeah. great. I he's thought. played well there, but like again, like they're, <laughs> he's looked great. they're like shoehorning things in here. Like they're, they're, yeah, it's exactly. Like, yeah, but, I mean, that's what point. they do. That's what they do. That's, See, I'm also, they I love how BJ said. BJ said, "Pep's assistants don't do anything." I didn't say that. I just said that he's in control. Pep's cone guy for like years. <laughs> All I said is he's a control freak, and that and I'm, not, I'm saying that assistants probably aren't making tactical changes themselves from the touchline like other teams are, like most yeah, notably I mean, Michael's boy Carlo Ancelotti, who just kind of stands there. I love him. Uh, it's his son. It's his son, Michael, who makes all the tactical changes for real. Five steps. If you knew that, David, Davide. Maybe he'll come back to Everton one day. Yeah. Uh, Bundesliga time. Uh, just waiting to bet against Bayern Munich, but I'm not betting Augsburg to do it again. So I'm just gonna sit this one out. Uh, Anthony, what do you? Uh, 
Yeah, so there is a uh, Jude Bellingham and Rafael Guerrero-sized hole in Dortmund right now. They had four passes into the penalty area at home against Cologne, which is like really bad uh, for their numbers. They ended up with you know 1.5 xG. Malin scored late. They won. Cool. But now it's three and a half, the total, on the road at Bochum. Uh, look, Bochum was a, a team that won as many home games as they lost last year. Uh, they've been a difficult out at home. They have uh, showed uh, some defensive solidity there uh, and have rallied. And I know that the total is now three and a half. I have my questions about Dortmund's defense. Uh, but, you know, Bochum plus goalie uh, at home and Dortmund having, you know, some ball progression issues. I think this is a lower scoring game than the market suggests. So I'm going under three and a half. Uh, and it's funny. My biggest edge of the weekend is actually Gladbach, but I don't Me want too. to bet, I don't want too. To bet them. Too many uh, injuries. That market has gotten crazy, but it is instructive because Gladbach, who you know I talked about on our Euro show, thirty-three to one to be relegated, got dominated by Osberg last weekend, and now the market has said you are a terrible soccer team, and I agree. All right, BJ, what do you have? Well, let's go back to Union Berlin. Um, no, not again. Apparently, they're going to run like gods again this season. Kevin mine's Barron's missing. hat trick was not on my bingo card for the Bundesliga. Uh, was was mine's missing two penalties on your bingo card? <laughs> that, that was that was expected <laughs> because they're playing Union, but yeah, that was fun. I mean, Union goes up two nothing inside ten minutes. Two low quality chances, just it's just what they do. But what I want to hone in on here is that game state's very important to what you know. If you're betting Union blends, whether it be both teams to score no or or unders, especially with them, which I'm betting under two and a half here against Darmstadt. Uh, in matches that were either 0-0-1-1 last season, only 1.8 XG per 90 was the creation total. So if Union Blin goes ahead, they can play in transition. A lot of more chances are created. They obviously sit deeper in a lower block, and you know teams create a lot more chances against them. Welcome back, Darmstadt. Six years in the second division, coming up here to the Bundesliga. They are a club that plays a very, very similar style to that of Union Blin. It's 3-4-1-2. It's, they can typically when they played a lot of the bigger sides, you know, Hamburger, Paderborn in the second division, they would concede 60, 65% possession. They did overperform their XG defensively, only 33 goals allowed in 34 matches, 13 clean sheets. Their plan against Frankfurt was kind of similar to that of what Union Berlin is going to do, which is basically sit very deep, concede a lot of possession, sit down, sit in their deep low block. Outside of one chance, huge chance that Frankfurt converted. Frankfurt only took eight other shots and only in one point, uh, or excuse me, 0.7 XG on those other eight shots. So box entries for the match were 11 to 11. So honestly, a pretty decent performance for a newly promoted team going on the road to a team like Frankfurt. So under two and a half is sitting at minus 120. Um, I only have 1.9 goals projected. So I think that's a, a decent price for two teams that are going to be very, very passive and sitting in low blocks. Uh, La Liga. Probably lay it with Bill Bow at home. <laughs> Looked much better in week two. Uh, what about you, BJ? Barcelona plus mm. 106. Um, they played Villarreal in February on the road. They won the match one nothing, and they closed as a minus 145 favorite. What has happened since then that makes any of us believe that Barcelona is either a significantly worse team or that Villarreal is significantly better? Oh, and that match was a look-ahead spot where they were playing Manchester United in the Europa League knockout playoffs four days from then. Villarreal, like we've mentioned many times, they got raided this summer. Pau Torres, 
Chiquese, Jackson, they're all gone. And now the problem that's going to exist for Villarreal is that they are a highly, highly possession-dominant team under Kike Setien. Actually, in that match against Barcelona, controlled over 50% possession. But Barcelona is a very, very good counter-pressing team. Second in La Liga in passes per defensive action and high turnovers. Forced nine high turnovers in that match against Villarreal. So I think the price here on Barcelona is really, really low, uh, considering what Villarreal is at this point. So I like Barcelona plus 105. What about you, Anthony? And Barcelona, by the way. That was the team I was thinking of when I was talking about Deserby. Uh Anthony, what about you? <laughs> Steven, they, oh, they're going to fire uh, Fire Xavi. Xavi's gone. I yeah, can just see um, Zerbi. You could just he's got like the Barcelona aesthetic to him, you know? And um anyways, Anthony. His system is not all that different from what Xavi likes to do at Barca. Yeah. There are similarities. Uh yeah, I would I would like to say that the biggest thing with Barca is that can they replace Dembele, who actually was really good last year and now is gone? That's probably their biggest hole, question mark. And uh, you know, I obviously like Busquets is gone, but we're not the biggest Busquets people at this point, although he's tearing up MLS. Uh, I like Viacano plus a half at home. Look, they lost Iriola, but they've kept most of that squad together and they've put together two pretty impressive performances and continue to just get no respect in the market. So I think they're still a good plucky underdog uh, to look to bet in La Liga this season. They get uh, your boys at home, the Atletico Madrid. So a little Madrid derby to start the season. Uh, if you look at it from you know just like a last season perspective, Expected goal difference per 90 minutes. This game should be uh, right around a quarter goal, not a half. Uh, and so you're, you're paying a little bit of an attack on, you know, Atleti having the, you know, the much heavier squad and, and kind of whatnot. But again, Viacano, there's been some penalty luck early in the season for them. But this is a team that has now gone on the road the first two weeks and outplayed their opponents, Almeria and Granada. Now they come home for the first time. Uh, I think they're a little bit cheap, plus a half against Atleti. Uh, who, you know, again, we talked about Atleti, like if Griezmann just slows down, they're just not that good anymore. Uh, and they don't really have, uh, you know, they've gotten some good production out of Griezmann so far, but uh, the XG per 90, like the whole attack has been just, what can Alvaro Morata do now? Well, we know what he can do. He can win the golden boot at Euro 2020. Uh, and World Cup. And the World Cup. And probably Euro uh, 2024. Syria, ah, time. Syria, ah, Anthony, the motherland. What do you got? Yeah, something really interesting happened last week with Milan. Uh, Christian Pulisic scored a Pulisic, banger. Yeah. That was kind of fire, and their attack looked really fun and dynamic. But you look at like the box numbers from that game and how the midfield performed and how the defense looked, and I thought they looked pretty vulnerable, and I still think it's going to be a problem for them. Now they go up against a Torino team, which is a pain in the ass to play. They are the worst watch, probably one of the two or three worst watches uh, in Italy, uh, they make it ugly. They have a very good defensive organizational system. But I think the pressure they're able to apply in midfield is going to really cause problems for Milan getting margin here. Um, so I like Torino plus one on the road against Milan. Yeah, that, that Pulisic goal made the rounds. Um, talking about things you didn't have on your bingo card. Uh, BJ, what about you? Uh, Lazio, Genoa, both teams to score plus 105. All-time... Yikes performance from Lazio against Lecce on Sunday. Conceded 23 shots and 1.5 expected goals to what was the worst offensive team in Serie A last season. Now, Lazio offensively did make some some moves this summer that I think in the long run will help them. Yeah, they bring over Dachi Kamada from Frankfurt, Tati Castellanos, 
who had a great season with the Girona last season. Hopefully those can fill the void of Milinkovic-Savic leaving for Saudi Arabia. But, but you, we know the story with their defense. I mean, 29 goals off of 41 expected last season. They're going to regress heavily as we go throughout this season. They have made no moves defensively other than signing Hugo Lloris. So their defense is magically fixed now. Um, but going up against a Genoa team that welcome back after one season in the second division, that one season in the second division, 1.84 XG per 90. They did bring in some ke- some attacking pieces. One of my guys, Ruslan Malinovsky, comes over from Marseille, helps helps their attack. Matteo uh, Ritigui Ritigu- comes over from Tigre in Argentina. I apologize for mispronouncing that. $12 million price tag, 11 goals, and 21 appearances in Argentina. Should help them offensively. I mean, Genoa got absolutely cooked in their opener against Fiorentina. Four goals off of one expected. The goalkeeper is a big problem. Uh, but both teams to score here were two defenses that are going to be below average in Syria. Ah, uh, I think it's too low at plus 105. League 1. You both, you both actually have a play in League 1 this week. Anthony. Yeah, I like Lille, uh, minus 110. Uh, you can find a minus 105 out there on the road against Lorient. Uh, they do have a Conference League fixture on Thursday uh, against a Croatian side, but the first leg is at home. So the travel concern comes on the back end of this trip uh, and maybe look to play against them next week as they, uh, depending on who how they rotate through their team here. But I've been really encouraged by the early season returns. Lille's a team that we both liked uh, based on their numbers, what they did last year in their first year under Fonseca. And they have had two games. They had a draw with Nice that was a pretty even match and a Nice, uh, a road match at Nice, given Nice's uh, progression as well. They've really taken a step forward. Uh, Deserby's assistant, actually, the manager there now. And they uh, rolled Nantes last week despite uh, overcoming some red card woes. So uh, I think that they've, they're they a really good team. They're, they're the second best team in this league right now. And uh, I think they're, they're underpriced against a Lorient side that uh, had very, very mediocre shall we say, underlying performances last year and has had a uh, continually mediocre start to the season thus far. Uh, BJ, real quick, Mon- and then we'll get to our underdogs. Yep. yep, Monaco, minus 120, going up against Nantes, who barely survived relegation last season. Nantes sold their best player, Ludovic Blas, to Rennes, who's a .48 XG plus expected assist attacker last season. They didn't really do much to replace him. Monaco was a very, very good offense in league on last season, 1.63 XG per 90. They did lose some pieces, but bringing in guys like Dennis Zakaria, Salusu, and uh, Singo from Torino should help them retool. And Monaco was a better team on the road last season than they were at home, plus 6.5 expected goal differential on the road versus plus 2.4 at home. So I think that they are a little undervalued at minus 120. Okay. Underdogs. We really yeah. knocked it out of the park last week. Um, oh, and six. Uh, and the week before, yep, we're, but, we're but due, baby. Bournemouth did score first, so that, that, yeah. we basically won that one. Yeah, that was uh, – we we were feeling pretty live for a minute. Got a couple texts. Uh, as, uh, Friend of the pod, Steve Petrella, said something like, this is fun or something. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the texts. Um, all right, uh, we'll start with you, BJ. Almeria, plus 230 on the road against Cadiz. I mean, Cadiz got torched by Barcelona last week. Oh, and so. Almeria put up a good performance <laughs> against Real Madrid. They took 20 shots against Real Madrid. It's impressive. Cadiz, I mean, they, I mean, I, I faded them in the opening match. If you remember, Alaves, it was one of the more boring matches you've ever seen in your life. 
basically nothing. Cadiz scored off a set piece and then just kind of held on for the rest of the, of the match. Almeria, they're a horrible defensive team. Absolutely atrocious. But they're at least somewhat respectable offensively, unlike Cadiz. Almeria was 1.2 XG per 90 last season. It's only 0.02 lower than what Sevilla was. So this is a halfway decent offense. They did just sell Bilal Torre to Atalanta, but they bring in Ibrahim Kone. They brought in the Colombian Luis Suarez. No, not the Uruguayan Luis Suarez to the club halfway through last season. He had a decent performance. So those two attackers should make up for Bilal Torre, who only played 1490s last season. So it's not like he was everything to their offense. So Cadiz should not be favored here. They were the worst team in La Liga last season outside of Elche. So give me Almeria plus 230. He's already, Bilal Torre is already hurt for Atalanta. It's very upsetting. <laughs> uh, I'll take a shot on Forrest. Oh. Nottingham Forest there. Eight to one. Eight to one against Manchester United. Uh this is a bet against United. I'm I'm just poking them. I want to see if the problems are real, and I'll take an eight to one underdog uh, to do it. I know they're at home, but they were at home against Wolves in a match that they should have lost in a, against a bigger underdog than Forest was at the time. So there I think there are some some things that United needs to get sorted out. I think that they will eventually, but right now is the time to try to try to beat them and Forest has shown some bite, so uh, give me Nottingham Forest. The attack has looked all right. The Manchester United defense has not. Anthony, let's go. Make it 0 for 9, baby. I will do just that. Uh, Torino, <laughs> 5-1 on the road at Milan. I just talked about this match a minute ago. Like I, I do think that uh, there's like a, a breaking point for how long uh, Ilich can get away with this. Or excuse me, uh, Juric can get away with this in terms of his system and, and kind of getting the most out of what's pretty average talent. But again, it's a Torino team that was just a perfectly fine average Serie A side. Uh, and unless you think that Milan like has taken a step forward into that upper echelon of teams like Napoli and Inter, uh, who frequently would be plus one against or minus one against the Torino side, then this line should be three quarters or a half. And instead you're getting the full goal and you're getting the five to one when I, I have this closer to four. So I like Torino here. Uh, they're very strong defensively, and that will make this game a high variance type affair. There you go, 177 to one. Uh, that parlay pops out at. We'll see if we can break the Schneid. Our best bets, uh, Premier League best bets, have been going much better though. Five and one. Uh, yeah, five and one to start the season. So we'll see if we can keep this hot run going. Uh, Anthony, what do you have for us? Yeah, Everton and Wolves, both teams to score. We'll, we'll grade it at minus 110 since that's the consensus market price right now. Uh, two defenses that have been among the worst in the entire league to start the year. You know, we've discussed Everton and Wolves at length here on this show. We know that both attacks have vastly underperformed XG for more than a full season now, which, you know, makes me think it's maybe not just uh, lock or regression, but it just the level the of the finishing of, you talent. Mean the presence of Neil Mopai. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, Wolves not having any striker. But again, the, the the poor defenses and the way that both of these teams are changing how they play with Deich being more aggressive and with um, Wolves changing with O'Neill into more of a transitional back and forth frenetic haywire team. Uh, this is not Lopetegui ball anymore. This is different and this will lead to goals. So I like the minus 110 both teams to score. I'm going Arsenal. Team total over two and a half, uh, minus 115 against Fulham. We spoke all season long last year about how this Fulham defense was due just to have, be caved in near the bottom of the Premier League or at the bottom, depending on the XG model you looked at all season. Despite that, they finished in 10th place uh, and things have not gotten better for the Cottagers so far to start this season. They got torn to shreds 
by Everton in terms of at least giving up big scoring chances. They still pitched a clean sheet somehow um, and what will likely go down as the biggest kind of clean sheet miracle of the season uh, in match week one. And then they got you know beat down uh, against Brentford again, trouble stopping uh, the Bees. Now they take a huge step up in class. They go to Arsenal to take on an offense that was held in check by Crystal Palace, relatively held in check by Nottingham Forest. I think that this is a great opportunity for uh, for Arsenal to, to name it, put up a crooked number, and start to get their offensive form going. So team total over 2.5 minus 115 I think is a good number. If you want to chase uh, 3.5 or even a 4.5, go for it because I think that this is a could be a football score for Arsenal. BJ, what do you have? Luton Town plus one and a half, <laughs> one fifteen at Chelsea Friday Night Lights. Listen, Chelsea may end up being a top three or four team in the Premier League when this is all said and done. But the state that they're in right now, given the amount of roster overhaul, bringing in a new manager, it's going to take some time for Chelsea to become one of those top four teams in the Premier League. And Luton Town, they were horrible against Brighton in the opener, but. Chelsea now is sitting around minus 500, which is a higher mark than what Brighton closed at against Luton Town. You cannot tell me right now that Brighton is a worse team than Chelsea or that the market has downgraded Luton Town this significantly after just one match. Luton Town's had two weeks to prepare for this one. They play a style that's very similar to what Brentford has done, although they don't have the type of quality and talent that the Bees do. But they'll play a 5-3-2. They will press you incredibly intensely, and they will not go down without a fight. So give me Luton Town, plus one and a half. I'm going to keep fading Chelsea, who was a minus three expected goal differential team last season in the Premier League. It takes a lot to generate this much market respect when you were just an average team. So Chelsea may, may very well turn this thing around, but I'm going to keep fading them until they do. There you have it. Uh, another episode of Wonder Goal is in the books. Thanks again to our sponsors, Bet365. Thank you to Caldera Lab. Uh, thank you to anyone who's left a review uh, in the past few days. Um, our producers, thank you to our producers, first of all, Noah, Matt, et cetera. Um, but they do remind us to remind you to do so. I never do it. Uh, but if you do like uh, or subscribe and leave a review, uh, five stars, whatever, we do hold a bunch of contests throughout football soccer like you know the, the busy season of sports so uh if, if you do re- leave reviews you usually are automatically entered in that so please do it um be sure to listen to the other podcasts on the action network bboc big bets on campus is back with a bunch of college football uh we will see a lot of nfl stuff and then it's hockey basketball etc sports are coming back after a summer of betting on the cricket betting on aussie rules we also have the u.s open coming if any, anyone's going a few of us will be there not bj but Anthony no. and I, so be sure to drop yeah, a line. I'll be there for BJ Cunningham, for Anthony DeBundo. I'm Michael Leboff. Be sure to bet Tommy Paul to win the U.S. Open. Don't do and that. We'll see you next time. Action Network reminds you: please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24/7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.